0: Good morning, Hope Elam. It is so good to be with you here today. Again, my name is John. For those of you that I haven't met, one of the pastors here, and we want to welcome those of you, the many of you that are in the room today, as well as our online church family, wherever you're worshiping from. So good to have you here on this Palm Sunday as we enter into Holy Week together. Jesus is on the move, literally on the move, into Jerusalem for his final week on earth in his earthly ministry. But Jesus has been on the move around here long before today as well, variety of ways. We always say that. We say that God is on the move, and that has certainly been the case. It's been a busy weekend around here uh, so far. Yesterday, I know a lot of you were here. We had an all-church spring workday. Over 50 people were here cleaning up yesterday, so praise God for all the awesome volunteers that helped with that as well. Doing all sorts of cleaning inside and outside. Women's ministry had an awesome time yesterday. Men's ministry had an awesome time yesterday. And on Thursday, if you have not been to Community Night on Wednesday night in a while, you are missing out. This isn't no, like, terrible church basement food. Brisket last Wednesday, people. Brisket, I'm telling you. This is amazing. So, people, I'm telling you, they're coming for the food, and they're staying for Jesus. Amen? So, you got to check out Community Night. Check that out. Literally, the last few months, it's so amazing to see there's something literally for all ages, all the way from the littlest ones in our nursery, you have the preschool going on during the week, you've got Hope Elam kids for the elementary age, you've got Power Life and Ignition, our student ministry, you've got small groups for college students, for young adults, Revive, our young adult ministry, all the way up to small groups meeting after our 6.30 worship service on Wednesday night. God is on the move at Hope Elam, amen? So fun to be a part of. God is on the move, and that is certainly true today as we begin this entry into Holy Week, this last week of Jesus' life. Now, some people might say, John, why do we make such a big deal of Palm Sunday, and why do we have all these services, nine services in five days uh, this week? It's Monday, Thursday, and Good Friday. Why do we go through all that? We know the end of the story, right? The guy comes back from the dead, amen? So we know the end of the story. Why do we have to do all of these Services, well, without death, there is no resurrection. Amen? Without Friday, sometimes you got to go through Friday to get to Sunday, and we will never understand the magnitude, we will never understand the reason, we'll never understand the full force of what happened that first Easter morning if we do not journey with Jesus through this week. And so whether it's been your church tradition or not, I want to encourage you to check out these services, even if you've, like, oh, my church didn't do Monday, Thursday, and good Friday. Well, this isn't your church growing up. This is your church now, and this is what we do. We want to journey with Jesus, okay? Okay. So this is our new tradition, which you may not know specifically in the Gospels. There's four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and there are 85 chapters total if you add up all the chapters that are in those Gospels. Get this, 29 of those chapters are dedicated to just the final week of Jesus' life. Over a third of the Gospels is dedicated towards what we're going to cover the next seven days. So you might not want to miss it. it's a little important there are a lot of great communicators in this church and you're going to be hearing from them uh, Wednesday night for worship Monday, Thursday, Good Friday, all the way through this is so much bigger than Pastor Hurst and I, this is so much bigger than a couple pastors this is about a church of gifted and talented people, not just speaking God's word but singing today, can we give God praise for our worship team one more time as well, so many gifted people in this church But it all starts today with Palm Sunday. If you have your Bibles your Bible app, go ahead and turn to Matthew chapter 21. That's where we're going to be today. And so we arrive on the scene just to kind of set the stage for you. It's Passover, which means this is one of the three main festivals that as a a good God-fearing Jew that you would come back for. And they would do the same routine, the same tradition every year. And Passover was one of those festivals. And so naturally, the town is already it's as if the Super Bowl or the World Series was there, and yet this big parade breaks out because they get word that the king is coming. They get word that Jesus of Nazareth is coming, and Jesus is like celebrity status by this point. And so it, it feels like a, like a ticker tape parade, or it feels like a, a, a parade for a Super Bowl winning team or a World Series winning team, and they're literally lining the streets, and instead of confetti, they just grab whatever's closest to them, and that's palm branches. That's or herb- Twigs, whatever you have this morning, budget cuts. Palm branches are really expensive, I guess. We went with twigs uh, this year, but you got them. You you get the idea. You can can combine them with somebody next to you, and you, you get the idea. Palm branches were a symbol of victory. And so here comes Jesus, and, and he's riding on a donkey, a symbol of, of peace and humility, certainly not what people expected. And people start laying down their palm branches. They're, they're laying down their cloaks. The city is just in an uproar. It's crazy. It's just nuts. It's pandemonium. And I, I, I wish I could kind of describe it to you. And so we're going to reenact it this morning instead. So grab your, grab your palm branches. Make sure you got one, okay? And what we're going to do is, what is Palm Sunday without a little friendly competition about who can get a little bit more rowdy. You guys ready to get rowdy? Seven of you. Great. So it's the... It's the 11 o'clock service. We're going to get a little rowdy on Palm Sunday. So I'm going to split you right down the middle. So if you're up in the balcony, you can decide if you're on team A or team B. Team A over here is going to be the Hosanna team, okay? Team B over here, you're going to be the blessed is the king team. And we're going to see who can welcome into Jesus a little bit louder this morning. So when I point to you, you want to just yell as loud as you can your phrase, and you wave that palm branch as high as you can. We'll give you a practice. And then we'll do it for real, all right? So this is the Hosanna group. Ready? One, two, three. I think you can beat him. This is the Blessed is the King. Ready? One, two, three. You're going to have to step up your game a little bit, Team A, all right? So when I point to you, pay attention because I might mix up the order, all right? Here we go. One, two, three. Now both of them all together. Hosanna! Blessed is the king. All right, good job, everybody. Give yourselves a round of applause. Nice job. (laughs) Blessed is the king. Hosanna. Hosanna literally means save us. Save us now. Kind of a kind of an odd thing to be yelling at a victory parade, isn't it? Save us now, which only makes sense if there's something that you need saving from which was the cry of the Jewish people that day, what they were hoping for. So why the royal treatment for Jesus? Because this was supposed to be their king, the son of David, the next great military king like David. They had been under Roman rule and oppression for years. And now here's Jesus, the one who would set them free. Keep in mind, this is just right after Jesus has been healing people and raising them from the dead and casting out demons and Jesus is a celebrity. Now this was a familiar scene. Roman generals would often re-enter back into the city on their big white horse with their sword and their chariot as a conquering hero and here comes a rabbi from Nazareth riding side saddle on a donkey. I know, really intimidating, right? So people have got to be a little bit confused that this is a different kind of King, and yet they think that Jesus is going to fit into their box, into their expectation for a military king that's going to come and kick out the Romans and establish this reign on the earth. But with all due respect to their national pride, Jesus was making it clear this day by what he said and by what he didn't say. Jesus was making it clear by what he did and what he didn't do that I am after a bigger enemy than the Romans. I'm not here just to kick them out and establish some earthly power that will be temporary for you. I'm here to go after an enemy called your sin and your death and the power of hell. That is my mission. That is my purpose. That is why I'm here. I'm not going to settle for anything less. In fact, Jesus said very few things in the final words and final days of his life because he didn't need to. In fact, after he's been arrested, you skip ahead in the story a little bit. Jesus is being interviewed by Pontius Pilate. And Jesus, here in the Gospel of John, is a man of few words, but he doesn't need to say very many, and he speaks to this mission that he's on. Let's read it nice and loud together. My kingdom is not of this world. Because if it was, you would know, and you would be losing. If you were Rome, you would know. Jesus would call down the armies of heaven— And and call all power and authority that's been given to him from heaven. If Jesus' primary aim was to establish an earthly power and rule and kingdom and wealth and prosperity, you would know and you would be losing. But it's not. Jesus says, I'm after something bigger. A more permanent and dangerous oppression that is killing you at the level of the soul. And it is your sin. You need a savior. You need a messiah. And so they had it half right. Save us. Hosanna, King Jesus. They had it half right, except Jesus was going after something much bigger. This was the driving force of Jesus' life, and most people missed it, including his own followers. We'll get to that in a little bit. But most people missed it. Everywhere Jesus went, from the moment he began his three years of public ministry, everybody had expectations for Jesus. Everybody had expectations of wanting to, Jesus to be somebody. Maybe he's a prophet. Maybe even for you today, he's just a a good moral teacher to teach some good values to your kids. Maybe Jesus is a good luck charm that when things are going really difficult in my life, then I'll come to Jesus, then I'll pray to him. Jesus says, I'm not any of those things. I'm the king of kings and I'm the Lord of lords. And most importantly for you this Palm Sunday, I am your savior, the one who can rescue you, amen? That's who Jesus is. People had all sorts of expectations for Jesus. There was a lot of confusion. Who is Jesus to you this morning? Every single one of us, when we, whether we realize it or not, when we walked in those doors this morning, we have expectations as well. We have expectations for who we want Jesus to be in our own life. And it's not just of Jesus, if you think about it. Life is all about managing expectations. And it starts at a a very young age. I know we've got a lot of parents and, and grandparents in the room today. You can attest to this. Kids have expectations. Can I get an amen? Amen. They resemble something like this. I need a snack every 6.5 minutes. That's what we're dealing with in our house right now. I I think that there should be dessert, ice cream, after every single meal. You've had eight pounds of sugar today, but I need dessert. I need ice cream. Kids have all sorts of expectations. When our two kids are really young, I think when they were about four and two, they just had it in their mind that every weekend we were going to go on a family trip. Because we had gone on some trips, and so every weekend, like, we want to go to a hotel water park all the time, every weekend. Well, that's not a realistic expectation. And so we decided to surprise them one year. They were like four and two on spring break. Keep in mind, it's easy to meet expectations when they don't know Des Moines from California, okay? They don't know Clear Lake from Venice, okay? They don't know time. They don't know what month it is, what week, any of that, right? So it's easy to meet those expectations. And so we talk it up, and we say, we're going to go on this huge, long trip, and we pack the van, and we get it all ready, and we're going to go to a hotel water park. It's really far away. Everybody load up. Here we go. And we cruise the loop of 235 and I-80 a few times, and we end up on Merle Hay Road at a hotel water park. We say, we made it! We're here, and they're like, whoa, we've never been here before. It's three miles from your house, but you have no idea Win—that That is winning for mom and dad. Can I get an amen? So that is, parents, that is free of charge today. Just, that's free of charge. You don't have to pay for that one, right? It's easy to meet their expectations. Give it a couple years, like, ah, we're not falling for that one again, right? They know now, and those expectations, they just go right into adulthood. Right, Even as adults, we have expectations that our kids should behave a certain way in public. We have expectations that I should be married by fill-in-the-blank age, that I should have this type of job, that we should have this type of family, that I should have this type of house, that because I follow Jesus and I'm a Christian, we also have expectations. Doesn't life, Isn't life supposed to get easier once you follow Jesus? Some of you have found out it's kind of the opposite sometimes. We have expectations, and certainly we have expectations of who Jesus is. The goal, the challenge, is do your expectations align with God's promises? Because sometimes I think the expectations of how life should go, the expectations of what church is like, of what Jesus is like, are all based on our family of origin, our upbringing, what denomination you came from, of which we have 20 different ones here at Hope Elam, praise God. No matter where you come from, right, we all have expectations for what that is like. Jesus was very, very clear. Jesus was the only one that had a crystal clear view of the expectations of his purpose, of his mission. One of the things I love about Jesus is that he knew exactly who he was. Do you could, could you describe to me your core identity without telling me what you do for a living? Do you know who you are beyond what anybody else has said about you, beyond anything else that you've accomplished or haven't accomplished? Jesus knew who he was. And I'll give you a little clue. If you want to find out who you are, start by asking whose you are. And this morning, you are a son or daughter of the same king that rode into Jerusalem that Palm Sunday, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. That is who you are, amen? That is your identity. Jesus aligned his expectations with God's agenda. Even when he knew he was coming to earth, that he would suffer, that he would die, that he would experience pain, that he would experience heartache and betrayal, Jesus experienced all of that. And yet he did it, and here's the reality. Jesus stepped into Holy Week. Jesus endured the pain because he knew it served a purpose. And some of us are misinterpreting the hardship and the pain in our lives because we don't know our purpose. Because we think that it should just be easy. That if life is difficult, that somehow God is angry at me. No, if you're hurting today, if you're struggling, if you're overwhelmed, mom and dad... Jesus has never been closer to you than he is right now. You will never be more loved than you are right now. God was with Jesus, his father, every moment of his life. Jesus knew he had a purpose, and because of that purpose, he was willing to go through the process. Some of us will never get the blessings of the kingdom because we're not willing to go through the process of surrendering to the king. We want all the blessings of the kingdom without surrendering to the king. We don't have clear expectations. And people there that first Palm Sunday didn't have clear expectations about what Jesus was all about either. And there's three key groups of people that we're going to look at today in this story. If you've got your Bibles open that we're going to look at that all had expectations of Jesus. There was certainly the crowd there were the Pharisees, the religious leaders of the day, and there were Jesus' own disciples that often missed it. And Jesus is going to shatter all of our expectations today. So if you have your Bibles, turn to Matthew chapter 21. And the first group that we see is the crowd. Now, why is the crowd there? Why are they in an uproar? We get a little bit of a context from the Gospel of John. Many in the crowd had seen Jesus call Lazarus from the tomb, raising him from the dead, and were telling others about it. No social media, Nobody's tweeting out, Jesus healed another person. Okay, so this is word of mouth, it's spreading. John 12, 18, that was the reason that so many went out to meet him, because they had heard about this miraculous sign. When somebody becomes popular, everybody wants to jump on board with it, right? When somebody's winning, when somebody's, everything's going well, you want to be a part of that. That's what fans do, and everything's going well, then I want to jump on board the Jesus train. And that's why these are fans. That was the crowd that day. They were fans of Jesus. They lined the streets. Some of them had never heard of Jesus or never met him before. But when somebody's winning, you want to be a part of that. It's it's a celebrity culture that we have today. In sports, we call it jumping on the bandwagon, right? Remember in 2016 when the Cubs win the World Series? Everybody's a Cub fan. And I'm like, where have you guys been for the last 108 years, right? Just jumping on the bandwagon. Now I'm waiting for the Cubs to win it one more time in the next thousand years, right? But that's okay because we all have expectations. But the expectations of the crowd were, Jesus, I am all on board the Jesus train as long as you meet my needs. As long as you keep healing people. As long as you keep raising people from the dead, as long as you keep creating headline news, Jesus, I want to ride on your coattails all the way to the throne. The problem is, (laughs) Jesus isn't looking for fans. Because you know what fans do? The nature of that is that we just consume. I'm here to get my needs met. I'm here for, for what Jesus, what you can give me. And how do we know that the crowd was fickle? How do we know that the crowd was filled with fans? Because the crowd on Palm Sunday was a lot bigger than the crowd five days later that stood at Golgotha as Jesus was crucified. We are fickle. As Christians, we are fickle. We want everything Jesus has for us as long as it doesn't require anything of us. And that's what fans do. And yet Jesus says, I never asked for admirers. I never asked you to stand on the sidelines or to stand on the side in the crowd. I never asked for admirers. I want you to follow me because I'm the king, I'm your savior, and I want to invite you into that new life. Parades come and go, fans come and go. Jesus says, I'm asking you to follow me. I don't want you to be a consumer, that's not how I created you. Because the reality is some of you want to grow, and some of you have been coming to church and you've been going to Bible studies and small groups and all of that, but the reality is is that you can't consume your way to maturity. You have to go through the process. You have to die to yourself. You have to surrender to experience the life that Jesus has. You can't consume your way to maturity. Followers of Jesus move from consuming to contributing. And we have the opportunity to do that every week around here, and certainly this week coming up on Easter. We are going to have the biggest Jesus party ever, because there ain't no party like a resurrection Jesus party. Amen? And if anybody deserves it, it's going to be him. That's why we're having four services. That's why we're doing all this, and we need your help with that. Around Hope Elam, we call these garage door events. Meaning when you throw up the garage door and you say, let's go, we want to make all the room that we can, and because of that, we need a lot of hosts to the party. Our hospitality folks tell us that in those services across this entire week, we need over a hundred more volunteers to make that happen. And why is that important? Some of you are like, I don't know, what's the big deal with that? Let me break it down for you. Every single year on Easter, there are multiple people that Jesus intersects with their story and changes their life for eternity. If that's not what we're about as a church, what are we doing? Then we are consuming. I want the posture of my heart to be, every single time I walk in those doors, is not consuming, is not what's in it for me. I hope they sing the songs that I like. I I, I hope that the, the, the sermon isn't too boring. We're working on that. I hope it's the way that I want it, right? No, our primary posture when we walk through those doors is what can I bring? What can I contribute? How can I serve? Lest we forget that at the Last Supper, we worship a Savior who got down on his hands and knees and washed feet. If we can't serve, then what are we doing? We follow the chief servant leader of all time you have the opportunity to do that to be a part of that talk to anybody with a lanyard today talk to anybody with a blue shirt and they would be happy to get you connected at one of those services we want to move from fans to followers from consuming to contributing but that wasn't the only group in the crowd that day there was also the pharisees now take a good long hard look at these guys if you've ever seen party animals this is i mean don't these guys just look like they're ready to rock right Jesus' harshest criticism, believe it or not, in his ministry was not for sinners. It was not for the outcasts. It was for the religious establishment. Because if you're Pharisees, your role is to keep law and to keep order. This gives you a glimpse into what the Pharisees were like. In verse 15, Jesus continues into the city and he starts healing people. And it causes even more of an uproar. And we read this in verse 15 the chief priests and teachers of the law saw the wonderful things that he did now get this and the children shouting in the temple courts hosanna to the son of david and i'm sure because they were religious guys because they're pastors and leaders in the synagogue they said oh we love the kids jesus come on we love everybody no it says they were indignant translation p o d why because they were jealous I mean, if you need further proof that the Pharisees were the buzzkill of the entire Palm Sunday scene, this is it. Kids are worshiping because people are getting healed, and they're like, uh-uh, because Jesus doesn't fit in my box. And the Pharisees get a bad rap. who say, oh, I'd never be like that. I, I don't see myself as them at all, but if we're not careful, we'll do the exact same thing. Jesus' presence threatened everything about the religious establishment this is the way we do things. Some of the most dangerous statements you could ever hear in a church are, that's the way we've always done it, or we've never done it that way before. That was the heartbeat of the Pharisees. The problem was is that the Pharisees worship tradition instead of God. In fact, that's one of our five core values as a church. We worship God, not tradition. Doesn't mean there's anything wrong with tradition. We have a lot of traditions. I know a lot of you have a tradition every Sunday because you sit in the exact same pew. I'm watching you. I know where you sit. We all have our traditions, and that's fine. The danger is is when tradition becomes traditionalism. And one of the things I love about the way that we do church as Hope Elam, we don't have a lot of traditions because we preach differently. We, 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 sing, we sing all sorts of different songs. You see people dancing and clapping and bringing their tambourine. You see kids singing. We pump up the organ sometimes. We have drums. We have electric guitars. We'll do hymns. We'll do brand new songs that came out two weeks ago. All of that. Because a modern day Pharisee would say, uh, the right way to pray is what way? My way. The way that I'm comfortable with it. The way that I, what, what's the right way to worship? What's the right way to sing? My way. And if we're not careful, we become modern-day Pharisees. And I don't know about you, but I don't want to be a Pharisee. And I don't want to miss the fact that Jesus, literally God himself, the Messiah, is standing right in front of me, and I'm worried that he doesn't fit my box. I don't know about you, Hope Elam, but I don't want to get caught up in all the stylistic and genre differences in the way that we preach and pray and do ministry and do church. I don't want to miss the one thing that really matters because I'm worried about all the lesser things that don't matter one bit. Amen? I don't want to miss Jesus. We're not running after a musical style. We're not running after a style of church. We're running after Jesus. It always has been and it always will be about Him, we worship God, not tradition. And yet if you're a Pharisee, it's not about consuming, it's more about conforming Jesus. And this is where the danger sets in. What happens when your agenda bumps up against Jesus' agenda? Who gets to call the shots for you? Who's your director? Who's your king? Now, Jesus, my finances. You can kind of stay out of my budget in the way that I spend money. I don't want to give any... Jesus says, "Who's your king?" It was never yours to begin with. It's all mine. I'm asking you to be a steward of it. Now Jesus, it's my dating life. I'll just take care of how I do relationships and I'll come to church and do my religious thing on Sunday, but Jesus, it's my dating life or it's my, I'll just fix my marriage on my own. Jesus says, "Who's your king?" Have you invited me in to help transform your life to transform your marriage? Oh, Jesus, I like things just the way that they are. You know that person that I vehemently disagree with on social media? I just want to tear into them because it makes me feel good. And Jesus says, who's your king? Hold up on that. Check the log that's coming out of your own eye before you flick out that speck in the person on the other side of the aisle. Oh no, when I come to church, Jesus, I'm going to sit who I want to sit by. I don't want to talk to people that look differently than me or act differently or, or talk different or from a, a different church background or that worship different or vote different. And Jesus says, I really care about who you vote for, but way more important than that, I want to know who's your king. Who's your king? Who's your Lord? Who, do you view your, 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 uh, your faith through the lens of your politics or do you view your, your politics through the lens of your faith? Jesus is the king, no matter who the president is. Jesus is the king of kings and the Lord of lords, and our primary allegiance is to him. We don't worship anybody else. Amen? Jesus is the king. And that's where the joy is found. That's where the freedom is found. That's where the blessings are found. We can't experience the blessings of the kingdom if we're not willing to surrender to the king. The King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And nobody knows that better than the last group that we find there on Palm Sunday. Those guys that were wide-eyed, is the disciples themselves. And they, this group, this group of 12 imperfect, broken men that didn't always get it right either. But they learned one thing: It's not about consuming Jesus. It's not about conforming him to my agenda. It's about staying connected to him, no matter what, because they could have left things got really hard. Jesus started saying some really like seeker-friendly things, you know, just to to appease everybody, not to ruffle any feathers. Jesus said saying really easy, seeker-friendly things like eat my flesh and drink my blood. I mean, that'll really bring everybody around. But again, Jesus' primary aim was not to be a celebrity. It was to be a savior. Jesus gives us What we need, not always what we want. And as He conforms our will to His, our wants get changed to what we really need. That's the purpose of prayer. And Jesus knew that. He was on a mission. These disciples stayed connected to Jesus no matter what. So much so, let's read this together. In John chapter 6, it was getting hard and people were leaving Jesus. All the consumers were starting to leave by this point. There's a few left. Everybody was leaving in droves, and the disciples said this let's read it together Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. Is there anybody here today that's just exhausted from trying to make life work on your own? I'm trying to be such a good parent. I'm trying to be such a good spouse. I'm trying to do everything I can to please my boss at work. I'm trying to be a good Christian. I'm trying to get to church, I'm trying to pray more, I'm trying to read my Bible more, and I just feel like I'm never enough. It's right, you're not. The whole purpose of this week is that Jesus came for you, and he died on that cross, and he rose again so that you could know in the deepest core of your being, you are are enough. Not because of your goodness, but because Jesus is that good. He is enough, and so you are enough today. Amen? I want you to know that. I want you to receive that. Jesus came to give you your life back. If anybody is tired from running around and trying to find life everywhere else, in a relationship, in a substance, in a job, (laughs) come home to Jesus. The King has come home for you. He's come home for you. And Jesus is, is, is riding into Jerusalem on this donkey, about to just shatter everybody's expectations this morning. The crowd, the Pharisees, his own disciples that even didn't get it right all the time. Jesus, I want to sit at your right and your left. Jesus is like, what kind of show do you think I'm putting on here? What kind of kingdom do you think that I'm building one that's going to last for a couple decades and then be toppled over by the next regime, I'm here to build a kingdom that is going to last. I'm here to take your sin and your death and your guilt and your shame and in exchange give you the gift of eternal life that's going to last forever. That's my offer today. Jesus says, that's why I came this holy week. Would you receive it? Would you let it all the way in? Jesus says, I am here to shake things up. I'll tell you, this is my 15th year in a row preaching on Palm Sunday. And there is no greater privilege than standing up here and preaching these same stories that never change over and over again. But I will tell you, it gets challenging sometimes. What are we going to talk about this year? And I will tell you, God is so good and his word comes alive. It's living and it's active. And sometimes it jumps off the page and I'm reading it and I'm looking at verse 10. If you have your Bibles, look in verse 10. Matthew 21, verse 10. It says this, when Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred. Everybody say stirred. Stirred. Another translation will say in upheaval or in an uproar. That Greek word there in the original Greek for stirred is seo. Everybody say seo. Seo. Oh, say it like you mean to say seo. Seo, get this. Seo literally means to shake to agitate, to cause, to tremble. Seo just happens to be the root of the English word seismatology, which is the study of earthquakes. If you think that Jesus rode into Jerusalem to be a prophet, to be a good moral teacher to be somebody that you can tack on to the side of your life and just do whatever you want and oh here's Jesus and I'll take a little bit from him I'll take a little bit from Facebook I'll take a little bit what my friends say I'll take a little bit of the popularity the popular opinions of the day Jesus says sayo sayo I'm here to shake things up what if Jesus rode in to Jerusalem that first Palm Sunday to cause a spiritual earthquake to shake things up so much that people would never be the same. That if this, this news that Jesus is going to die, predict his own funeral and then ruin it himself, this changes everything. This is the greatest news. Say, oh, Jesus says, I'm about to shake things up and shatter everyone's expectations. What if, what if this holy week was a time to shake things up? Up. Turn your neighbor right now, especially if they're sleeping, grab their shoulder very gently and say, say-oh! Tell them right now. Say, say-oh. Shake your other neighbor. Say, say-oh! Say-o. Say, wake up. It's almost done. Say-oh. When is the last time that the message of the gospel, of God's love for you, of his death and resurrection, shook you to the core, caused a spiritual Earthquake in your life. When's the last time the good news of God's love for you dropped you to your knees in SAO, in trembling? That you could stand in awe. This isn't okay news or mediocre news. This is the greatest news in the history of the world. Jesus says that to you this morning SAO! Say, oh, I want to come and shake things up for you. I want to change everything for you. I don't want to be a little hobby on the side. I don't want you to stand on the side of the street and admire admire me. I want you to follow me. I want you to go all in with me this holy week. Monday, Thursday, Good Friday, I want to shake things up. Well, I've never invited anybody to church before. Well, there's a first time for everything. If you've got the greatest news in the world, if you're moving from a consumer to a contributor, I'm going to ask myself this week, who needs an invite? And I'm going to grab some of those cards on the way out. I'm going to invite my neighbors and my coworkers and my friends. I'm going to start to worship in ways that I've never worshipped before because I don't want to be a modern-day Pharisee. And it doesn't matter what people think around me. I'm living for an audience of one. I'm worshiping an audience of one and I'm going to worship him, and I'm going to invite, and I've never served before, but I've always, I've always wanted one of those fashionable blue shirts, so I'm going to sign up, and I'm going to serve. I'm going to to serve for Easter. I'm going to do that. I'm going to pray big prayers, because I worship a Jesus that came bringing, Seo to shake things up in your life. He is the king of kings, and he came back for you this Palm Sunday. And if you would listen very closely underneath the rumble of the shattering of the earthquake of Jesus riding in, of the king returning home, you might just hear him say, I came back for you. I came back for you. Let's take a look.